There is a little change today. The Simizu family has some illness, so Kento is not being able to be with us. So I am going to read the text for the message today. I want to start in verse 18. This may seem odd to you, but I think as we get into the message, it will become obvious as to why we are reading this text as a reminder. Matthew 1.18, listen carefully to God's word. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, if you would turn over to John 14 which is going to be the focus of our message this morning. John 14, verses 1 through 7. 1 through 7. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I would I have would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had, not, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do not know him and have seen him. You do know him and have seen him. Let us come together in prayer. Our Lord and our God, we are so thankful 
for these beautiful words from our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We ask that our hearts would be so compelled to be transformed in a way in which we are renewed by this promise, by these words of security and assurance from our Savior. In Christ's name, amen. Did you come to church today to attend a wedding? Or did you come to church today to celebrate Easter? Wonder if coming to church today means you are attending a wedding and celebrating Easter in the same service. Perhaps you are asking yourself, What does Easter have to do with a wedding? Well, when you think about John's writings in the New Testament, you may wish to stop, pause, and think about how his writings begin essentially with a marriage in John chapter 2. The wonderful story of the wedding at Canaan. And how his, wed- how his writings close at the very end of the canon of scripture with the beautiful imagery of marriage at the end of the book of Revelation. For many of us, as we listen to John 14, 1 through 7, As we listen to that passage being read, we may have never thought that this text would be about a wedding or furthermore about connecting a wedding to Easter. As you direct your attention to John chapter 14 verses 1 through 7, Let us note a few things about the context of this particular text. John begins his passion narrative in chapter 12, verse 12, with the triumphal entry of our Savior, Jesus Christ. As we are about to enter the 14th chapter, Christ places two serious concerns before his disciples. One is that one of the disciples is going to betray Jesus. The second one is one of the disciples is going to deny Jesus. Between these serious concerns about his own disciples, Jesus states that he will be leaving his disciples. In fact, he tells them, Where I am going, you cannot come. Chapter 13, verse 33. So there will be defection in the ranks of the disciples. And he is going to leave them. And they will not be able to follow. 
about his departure, he tells them that it will be for the glorification of God in him as the Son of Man. Furthermore, although he is departing, he is giving his disciples a new commandment that they are to love one another. There in chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. You may be thinking, (laughs) what is so new about loving one another? Does not biblical revelation, as well as even the secular culture, tell us to love one another? But look closely at Christ's directive. There is something new in Christ's commandment, never heard or seen before within biblical revelation or even the secular culture. Never has the word of God, who is God himself, dwelt among us so that we beheld his glory and every single activity he performed. He lived absolute selfless love and grace never witnessed before on earth as the word of life, the true light of God himself. The newness of his new commandment is that the Messiah, the blessed Messiah, the final Messiah, has come and he has taught his disciples and each of us here in the church of Jesus Christ how we are to love one another. And it must not be modeled after the world. Otherwise, the church will resemble the hypocrisy of the world. Is this difference starting to penetrate your own heart? Are you coming to grips With the newness of his commandment. Yes, the love that Christ demonstrated as Lord and as teacher of his disciples is clearly placed before you. He stooped down as a servant and washed their feet. Is a servant... Greater than his master? No. No. And yet this master, this master, Jesus the Christ, is humble enough to perform the duties of a servant to others. The word of God in whom all things were made in the entire creation takes pleasure in love to serve these lowly disciples. 
When this kind of love is lived by the disciples to each other and also by the church to each other, then the world will know who are the disciples of Christ's new, new commandment. It is not, in the words of Christ, an option. An option. So as Christ speaks of the cracks, <laughs> the cracks in the twelve disciples, and that Christ himself is leaving, those remaining are to live in Christ's unique love. John opens his 14th chapter with Christ's pastoral words in this situation. There is nothing to fear. I'm leaving, (laughs) but there's nothing to fear. Place your faith, a firm and strong faith, in both God and the word of life. Faith in the Father and the Son will keep one in union with the sovereign God. The disciples in each of us here that are here this morning do not need to fear because Christ assures us that in his Father's house are many rooms. In fact, Christ is going to his Father's house to prepare a place for those disciples who have saving faith in him. And that is not all with respect to Christ as to the assurance of faith. Jesus is going to come again and will take all those who place their saving faith in Christ unto himself. Why will he do this? Why? Why is he going to come again and take you unto himself? So that where I am, he says, his redeemed church will be with him. 14.3 So congregation... Where is Christ pointing you in verses 2 and 3 of this text? Hopefully, it is obvious. His departure is by the death, resurrection, and ascension. Furthermore, when he speaks of coming again, it points to his future coming, second coming, when our bodies will be raised and united to our souls to enjoy an eternal fellowship and communion with our Savior. It is at this point that I wish to direct you to some interesting parallels with the Jewish wedding ceremony in Christ's beautiful 
pastoral comments of encouragement to you in this passage. As always, we must be very careful to integrate aspects of the culture into Scripture. In the case of the Jewish wedding ceremony at the time of Christ, it had a rich religious heritage that had elements which pointed to the day that the Messiah would come and act. Also, it is worth noting that scripture informs us of some of these practices without any criticism, especially as they are incorporated into the life of Christ and his ministry. In fact, I think it could be said that the Jewish wedding ceremony serves like like a parable in terms of the natural realm for the Easter event of Christ's resurrection and his second coming, the spiritual, the heavenly fulfillment. Why did we read Matthew's birth narrative this morning? I saw you all scratching your head. (laughs) Why did we read that passage? Because it reveals some profound religious aspects in the Jewish wedding ceremony that will have eternal meaning found in Christ's words here in John 14. In Matthew chapter 1.18, a problem surrounds the term betrothed. Usually translated in many versions, engaged, pledged. Many scholars believe that this translation and meaning for the word does not do justice concerning the Jewish custom of marriage at the time of the New Testament. You must not think that that aspect, engaged, pledged, is the same type of thing in our own culture concerning someone being engaged to be married. At that time, when a marriage was agreed upon by parents, a formal contract would be exchanged between witnesses of both families. When the contract was issued, the male was viewed as the husband of his future bride. For example... Joseph was viewed as the husband of Mary, although they had not presently been living with each other. Specifically, Joseph and Mary are married by virtue of the formal contract. But there was a customary interim period when the couple would sustain from living with each other. This was known as a period of sanctification or being set apart. It was usually for about one year. For one year. 
Hence, the marriage union was not yet consummated, since they had not yet come together as one flesh. Matthew 1.18. Simply put, they were married to each other by a legal document, but they had not yet taken up residence with each other. Are you recognizing in this religious marriage tradition the pointer to Christ? Christ's initial coming reflects the marriage contract between the husband and the wife, the already. And the second coming of Christ reflects the final consummation of the husband and the wife permanently living with each other, the not yet. Let us bring in another element about the Jewish wedding that is found in Scripture that points to Christ. Think wedding at Cana. We are told at that wedding that there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons of water. That's in John chapter 2, verse 6. It is these jars of water that Jesus will change the water into wine. Well, one of the reasons that the jars of purification are present is because both the groom and the bride must be thoroughly cleansed with water. It is a spiritual cleansing. In preparation to the formal contract ceremony of marriage, the betrothal ceremony. Once purified, they are viewed as sanctified and they are set apart from each other until they take up permanent residence with each other. To repeat, that does not occur until about one year. Furthermore, after purification, the betrothal ceremony takes place under, note this, a canopy, a canopy, which is symbolic that a new covenant household is being planned. Vows are exchanged, and the groom provides a gift to the bride of money or a valuable ring or cup of wine, which will remind his bride of his pledge of love during the days of separation, that he will return to receive her as his wife after that one year. 
Hence, the marriage contract is a binding contract which only the groom can issue a bill of divorce. Consequently, you see Joseph thinking about issuing a bill of divorce to Mary when he learns that Mary is with child and he is not the father. Matthew 1, 19. An angel of the Lord blocks such action when he tells Mary that, tells Joseph that Mary is with child by the Holy Spirit. Matthew 1, verse 20. Now return to Christ's words there in John 14, 2 and 3. And note the components of the Jewish wedding before you. What is the groom's responsibility from the betrothal ceremony to the formal wedding ceremony, which is about a year away? He is to prepare a new dwelling place for his bride. In fact, his bride's new residence must be better than the place she lived in before. Also, it is not the groom's duty to determine when the place for his bride is ready. The groom's father, the groom's father determines when it is ready and gives permission to receive his bride. Well, (laughs) are you ready to put this all together? I hope your mind is racing here in terms of the connections here. Are you ready to celebrate today an Easter wedding? Christ has come into the world as the groom of a betrothal contract. That contract is the covenant of grace that God made to those who will be his bride in in Genesis 3.15. For this betrothal contract to become effectual, The bride must be what? Thoroughly purified. In this case, the groom is already purified by being born without sin and being the word of God himself come in the flesh. The groom's purification for his bride is a sanctification that is quite unique in this case, that his lifeblood provides as an atoning sacrifice on the cross. The righteousness of Christ's blood must cleanse the bride's life. Indeed, the groom groom has set himself apart from the bride to purchase his bride with a price. The price of his own sanctified life upon the cross on Good Friday. 
Once, remember the wine cup as a gift. Once the wine cup, the cup of Christ's blood, is given to his bride, he executes, he secures, and assures his binding vow of faithfulness by departing as the purification of his bride is set in place. She lives by the purification of her groom's sacrifice by virtue of his departure, the departure by resurrection. Christ's departure as the groom of his bride, the church, is the first Easter. The first Easter. Christ's resurrection begins his activity to continue to work on the bride's behalf to demonstrate his pledge of servant love to his bride. You, his church, in his vow of marriage to defeat sin and death through the death and resurrection of himself. And when he departed from his bride, in Easter resurrection, he not only gave her the gift of the cup of wine on the cross, but he also provided another incredible gift by which his bride would never forget him while he was resurrected and ascended into heaven. He gave the marriage gift of the Holy Spirit. You have that gift. You are here this morning because of that gift, that marriage gift. As Christ has departed in the heavenly places to provide his abiding presence in the heart and the soul and the mind of his bride. That's each of you who testify that you have saving faith. And that Holy Spirit will lead his bride into maintaining the truth of Christ's death and resurrection as an accomplished contract, covenant of his love that is poured out to you. And what does the resurrected Christ do between between the betrothal, the already, and the final marriage ceremony at his second coming? He goes and he prepares a place for his bride. 14.3 Yes, 
In his father's house are many rooms, mansions, dwellings. And the resurrected Christ is preparing a place for his bride. A place in heaven that is better. Better than the place that his bride formerly lived on earth. You see the connection in terms of the Jewish wedding. It's better. Here, this morning, hear the marriage language of your resurrected groom this Easter morning. As your groom, he will come again and he will take his bride to himself. After all, your groom is the divine I am who will bring you unto himself forever. Verse 3 of our text. After all, Thomas. After all, Thomas. You know how a Jewish ceremony, wedding ceremony functions from its beginning to its end. You understand that, right? Thomas, you have attended a Jewish wedding, right? You know how this works from the betrothal to the final consummation of the wedding. Verse 5 of our text. That's what's going on there. You see, the I am is going. He is taking his bride into the eternal presence of a marriage relationship and celebration in the glories of the heavenly house of his father. He is the Lord Almighty, the great divine I am who never breaks his oath, his contract of marriage. He secures his bride by Easter resurrection all the way to the final resurrection union into the very presence of the eternal wedding house at Christ's second coming. As the divine I am resurrected Christ, he declares to you his bride this Easter morning. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Remember a question 
follows that statement. Right directed towards your heart. Do you believe this? What a loving, gracious, selfless groom in the service of his bride. Each of you who belong by saving faith to Christ in his church. Indeed, His contract of marriage is secured by virtue of keeping covenant through his death and resurrection. And thus, as the divine I am, he alone is the groom who is the way. The way. From resurrection to resurrection. He alone is the faithful and true groom in the eternal bond of marriage. He alone sustains the marriage of eternal life forever because he is life and truth. Yes. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And do not forget the final entrance into the wedding house. Heaven comes when the Father says to that the groom's work is done. Verse 6. Yes, no one comes to the Father except through the Son of God. So if you embrace Christ by faith this morning, if that is your heart today, then do not let your heart be troubled. So how is your marriage to Christ today in your life? How is your marriage in faithfulness to your resurrected groom? Are you ready? For the resurrection of your body to be united with your soul into the eternal marriage relationship between you and your groom, Jesus Christ. So how did you celebrate Easter this year? Tomorrow, someone comes up to you and asks you, what did you do for Easter this year? You know what you want to tell them? 
you want to tell them that you attended a resurrection marriage ceremony in which you found yourself you found yourself as a participant in a continual marriage between Jesus, the groom, and yourself, the bride. Are you ready to say that tomorrow in the marketplace? What a glorious celebration it is. What a wonderful message from the Lord Jesus Christ in this text. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we are so thankful. the groom has come and that thou has given to us a selfless servant groom who has sanctified us through his death and resurrection to be a spotless bride. We are so thankful that right now he is preparing that better room for each of us. That room that is given unto us to abide with him forever and ever. Bless thy people. Bless this flock. Bless this portion of the bride of Christ that is present here today. In Christ's name, amen.